Hello and welcome to the Aspire Leisure Centre podcast. Thank you for downloading. Aspire. Fitness is for everyone at Aspire in Stanmore. The first leisure centre in Europe for disabled and non-disabled people. Membership starts from just £20 per month with no contracts and unlimited use of the gym, swimming pool and group exercise classes. With student, corporate, over 60s, joint and GP referral memberships available, find out more by downloading our app or visit aspireleisurecentre.org.uk. Aspire. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Aspire Leisure Centre podcast. Uh, with lots of you starting to think about what you want to achieve in 2019, I wanted to speak to someone uh, who's completed some mammoth endurance challenges. Um, Paul Parrish, the Director of Fundraising and Marketing, talks to me about how he had a really unhealthy lifestyle and made the, the decision to change. Uh, he set himself a goal of small increments, uh, often one mile at a time, and has completed some really tough challenges, uh, such as the London Marathon, some Ironman events, the Arch to Arc, uh, and a cycle ride that went from his house in St Albans all the way to Armenia. Uh, this is a truly incredible story. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so my guest today is the Director of Fundraising and Marketing at Aspire Leisure Centre. Uh, I've managed to time down for uh, a few minutes. Uh, hello, Paul. Hi, Dean. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I know your, uh, your time is precious. Um, what, what is a, a general, typical week like uh, as a Director of Aspire? So, Director of Aspire, in the fundraising department, there's a lot going on in terms of lots of fundraising bits and pieces, you know, we've got a lot of fundraising initiatives, so I guess my job is really to kind of check that things are on track, reporting through to Brian and the board, um, there's a strategic element of kind of like working out what's working, what isn't, mm. um, if it's not working, why is it not working, and, you know, and allowing the team themselves to kind of, you know, make the decisions they need to make to kind of get things on track. Yeah. and uh, help him where I can with the knowledge that I've got. Although, yeah, most of the guys I employ, they're really good. So <laughs> I sort of say, surround yourself by really good people. <laughs> um, how, many, how many people in your team? So there's 12. 12, 12 yeah, so that includes communications and marketing. Yeah. Um, and I always say uh, the fundraising team, they put the fun in fundraising. They're quite a, quite a fun and, and dynamic team. Well, as a director, it's your job to take the fun out of everything. So, yeah, so we're just raising when I'm around. Yeah. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah no, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fundraising has always had that reputation of being mm. there, the people that go out and talk to and go to events and stuff like that. And mm. it's meant to be more fun. It's actually quite a lot of pressure, you know, in terms of, in some ways, we've got to raise the money in the book kind of stops with us because yeah. if we don't raise the money we can't get the services in and uh, there's a lot of pressure I guess that's part of my role is to try and take that pressure off the team as well mm -hmm. so things are aren't going well we've got to look at why but you know we can't make markets or anything like that mm -hmm. and we just have to try and understand why it is and as I say I have to report to Brian the chief CEO and uh, you know, explain what's going on but um, yeah on the whole I guess it's you know we go visit people and you know try and infuse people to raise money so you can't really be that miserable. You can't be quite <laughs> enthusiastic. Um, so the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because uh, not only are you the director of the fundraising team, but I think you've um, you've done quite a few challenges over over your career and, and life, and some of them are kind of really inspiring. You've raised a lot of money. Um, just before we talk about that, how did you kind of get into kind of charity work and? Yeah, um, I got kind of an interesting sort of past there. I used to work in kind of public, well advertising, so I was one of those people that used to go around selling when when magazines were big. I used to go into ad agencies and try and get them to spend money. But really, what my job was was taking them out for lunch, and 
I lived a kind of advertising lifestyle, which meant a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking, mm. and uh, it was a pretty full-on advertising lifestyle. You know, I started in the 80s when there was a lot of money and not much skill around, and mm. and we kind of went out a lot. And uh, by the time I got to be 35, it really caught up with me. I was, I was, I think I was a big, big sort of 16 stone fella and chain mm. smoking, and I couldn't go up the stairs properly without sort of feeling really lightheaded and. And I just thought, I've got a young family, and I remember thinking, I'm going to see my kids grow up. So mm-hmm. one day, I just stopped everything. I was a bit ashamed so of just that. Go, just go cold turkey. I then. just went cold turkey. Yeah. I just thought, I can't, I've got to stop this. I've got to stop yeah. this. So, but, you know, I was a bit ashamed of, and I couldn't just say to, because all my mates were drinkers, and, mm. and I found it really difficult saying, well, I'm not going out to the pub anymore. So I came up with this, plan, you know, this excuse about why I wouldn't be going to the pub. And I said to them, you know, I've decided I'm going to run a marathon. Which is really good thinking, yeah. you know, because it gets them off your back. But <laughs> it does mean you have to run a marathon. Um, I'm actually at a charity place for the marathon. Um, and it was in November, I think, I, I went sort of cold turkey. Mm. And the place I was working had some charity places. And I went in, and I remember saying, oh, I can have a place for a marathon. And they looked at me, and they went, well, what is it for? And I went, it's for me. And they went, no, <laughs> you can't. You, it's in April. There's no way. You, you, I'm sorry, but they're really precious to us. We get a lot of money from them. And I'm no offence, but you can't. And I really begged them. I said, "Look, please let me have this marathon place." Yeah. So they they did, and I managed to get them to do that. And I can remember going from the first run, which was like two or three miles. And I couldn't. I just couldn't run. You know, I was I was absolutely way beyond running. Yeah. And I had one of those little intuitive moments, which was kind of like I thought, "Well, oh, I'm probably on that run of three. I managed to maybe run a mile without stopping." Mm. And from that moment on, I thought, "Well, if I can run a mile, I can maybe do a mile, mile and a half." And I just built it up from there. So is that how you did it? You just did, I just did slopes, increments? Just little, little increments. And, I, and I, I still do that today. Yeah, you know? I always, I'd, I'd love to do the marathon. It's something I haven't yet done. Um, but the training, it does start at October, November time when the weather is so depressing outside. And I guess it, for, I guess it, your kind of lifestyle at that point and trying to do it, was that hard? Or you... Yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. It's a miserable time of year. But there were a couple of things going on for me. One was the fact I knew I had to you know, stop going to the pub all the time and smoking. So if you stop doing that and you start exercising, it's something like, it's like, whoa! It's like this massive kickstart. So yeah. although I was going into the winter, which is you know, a tough time to train, I was like this little kid going, whoa! <laughs> I can't believe I'm waking up feeling really full of, you feel full of life. Yeah. And uh, so I had that. And the other thing about that, the thing about the marathon that is really nice is if you can go through the winter, you suddenly hit March 24th time when the clocks change and it suddenly gets warmer. Mm. And it's just it's that month before the marathon. And if you've done the training, you're starting to feel absolutely brilliant. So as the seasons change, you also like move into spring going, yes. yay. <laughs> so it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a good time to do it. So yeah. I did this marathon. Did it, you finished it? Completed it? I finished it and, you know, I'd always been amazing. You know. what, what, what was the end like when you crossed oh, the finish line? It's like really moving for me and... Uh, as a, like, a funny story was that I knew a guy who was the chief sports photographer of the Times, and um, he was up on the gantry as a gantry when he finished with all the photographers. Yeah. And he, Steve Redgrave was running it that year, and they were all the photographers that were really fed up, so they had to wait for Steve Redgrave. He's a big bloke, he's being mobbed, so he's, he's a bit slower than me. And they're all waiting, but this mate saw me coming through, and he just shouted, Hey, Paul! And then he took a photograph of me, and I had my hand up in the air, and he took this photograph of me. And he was invited to my birthday. So four days later, it was my birthday, which is the 28th of April. And the Times at the time sponsored the marathon. They were the media sponsor. And they used to do a supplement yeah. um, with all the names of the runners that you could get. 
and that day just happened to be the 28th that that supplement came out. And I was on a train, this guy was coming to my party in the evening, I was on a train going into work, and I looked across and there's this bloke with the Times, and he had this supplement, and in the supplement he turned it over and there's a picture of me <laughs> punching the air. Amazing. And my mate had got it in for my birthday. That's brilliant. So it's really nice, and that kind of like made me think, oh, actually maybe this new way of life has got you know, lots of little things about it that, you know, to be that sort of thing for me yeah. to happen to me was like wow that's really nice and then so from there kind of it just kind of spiraled out of control because you've done Ironmans you've done triple Ironmans is it, it, it kind of just spur you on to do more and more yeah yeah it did and I realised that I had that, that little thing that I said about you know okay if I can run a mile maybe I can run two miles it honestly works you know, mm-hmm. think, you know you, when you do like an Ironman you don't think oh god that's you know, however many miles you think okay well maybe I can do 10k and then I can do a little bit more and you just kind of split it up and I changed my career because I, you know, because I was some this clean living bloke. Mm. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't like spending all my money in the pub and things like that. I had yeah. a bit more money, so it allowed me to change my career. I didn't realise how much choice had come into my life by just, you know, <laughs> cleaning yeah. up a bit. And um, I went to work for charities, and I realised that you know, I was able to kind of go these long distances, but also it was a good way of raising money. So over the, over the period of time, I kind of like raised more and more money, and mm. um, you know. Um, it was good way to keep my job really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the kind of the, the one event I think that probably has raised the most amount of money that was for, for an ind- individual for, I, for Aspire. I think um, it was a, yeah. I think it's one certainly one of the biggest sort of individual fundraisers. I think yeah. it was I did this event called the Arch to Arc, which was it's meant to be the world. I mean, whether it is, yeah, I, I kind of hope it is. It's meant <laughs> to be the world's hardest triathlon, and it's a it's a run from Marble Arch to Dover, which is eighty seven miles. And then it's a swim. It's a solo swim of the English Channel. Yeah, that's the crux of it. That's where everybody fails. Yeah. And then it's a, if you get that far, you then cycle from Calais to the Arc de Triomphe in, in Paris, which is about 182 miles. But I kind of knew this thing existed, and it's it was that thing about you know, with my background and everything, I didn't think I was ever the kind of person that could dine at that kind of table. But mm. as time went on, I was thinking, well, you know, who who does do this sort of stuff? And I was working in a hospice and I was aware that, you know, kind of you have one shot at life. You know, you, you might not, but as far as I was, I, I knew you did. And, you know, I, I met too many people my age who'd had a bad diagnosis and they were they were full of regrets. They would often say, oh, I wish I'd done this. So it kind of made me think, well, if you fancy doing something, you wish, whether you're going to do it or not, give it a go. Yeah. So stupidly, I signed up for this thing for the Arch to Arc, you know. And it was like two and a half, I had to wait sort of two and a half, three years. So it was one of those things I thought, well, it'll never happen. Yeah. And then I found myself in September 2014 at Marvel Arch going, oh, well, I'm going to have to do this. Um, uh, so it's, uh, I'm assuming there was a team of you doing it at the time? No, so no. It's a, just you on your own? Because it's such a long thing. Yeah. And you can only cross the channel with a... Uh, you have to have your own boat to get across the channel. You, so it's just you. Wow. And you have, like, a team with you to kind of keep keep you going through the whole thing. Um, so we had loads of people from... Aspire's brilliant. Yeah. Everyone's like, OK, we'll help this. So I had some of my team... Literally staying up, they, they were doing shifts from, say, 10 at night till 4 in the morning, then meeting up as I was going down to Kent, through Kent. Mm. You know, somebody picked me up at 4 and, and carrying on feeding, looking after me till, say, 8 in the morning, and then somebody else would replace them. And I got the whole team, even got them to come over to Paris. They, actually, they didn't seem to mind doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, I think for a week it disrupted the entire, <laughs> entire team. <yeah. laughs> but... Um, yeah, everyone there as far. It's really, 
of it is really cool. Uh, and how much did it, how much did you raise? So it raised, I think it raised about twenty. I think it's about twenty one thousand, and the disc gift aid is about twenty four, twenty three, twenty four thousand. So it's big. That's incredible, it was, isn't it? I think ten thousand pound went onto my just giving page while I was in the channel. Hmm. Had this really rough channels crossing, which was about seventeen and a half hours. You re- when you swim the channel, you can't touch the boat. You can't do anything. You've just got to keep swimming. Hmm. And in that time, I had Alex Rat. Alex Rankin, the mm-hmm. director of services on my boat. I wanted somebody who I knew wouldn't let me get out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in any way emotionally influenced by me crying. Yeah. And so I had him on the boat and he just kept me in the water. But he kept saying to me, you just had a d- donation from someone in Australia. And I was like, I don't know you're in Australia. He said, well, they're donating. And he said, this thing went sort of semi-viral. And Alex would keep saying to me, you've just had this donation. donation. So-and-so sends their love. And it's like, wow. So was that was that the hardest part of the, the, oh, yeah. the whole challenge? Yeah, psychologically it was just just. I mean, I was ten ten hours of it. The last mm. ten hours in pitch darkness, didn't have any sensory reference apart from a boat. So the first thing I knew about touching France really was this right hand touching sand because I could see nothing. Suddenly, I and mean, I thought I'd also thought I'd blown it. I didn't think I was going to make it. Mm. I, I knew it had gone on too long, um, and I thought they're going to pull me out. And I'd say about the second intuitive thing that I got right in this yeah. whole thing was uh, um, I decided not to give up and I thought I'd let them take me out. But yeah, that happened. Yeah. So how, how long did the whole thing from start to finish, how, how does that take? 84 hours. 84 hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, better things to do with these hiring actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so did you sleep at all? <laughs> yeah, I was allowed to sleep at, um, but to, from finishing the run. I was allowed to have a sleep in Dover. Yeah. Uh, and without getting into it we weren't sure I was even going to be able to swim the channel because the weather wasn't looking great but then when I got to Calais I was meant to have a sleep there but I was so excited about swimming the channel that they, they tried to put me to bed and I was just like oh, I'll just swim the channel so in the end they just said I'll just get on your bike yeah. and because of that I'm not very fast at all but because of that because I had such little gaps in between everything mm-hmm. they ended up being quite fast overall in terms of the people that had ever finished it so I think mean, at the time although I was the oldest man at the time I think it was about the sixth fastest of 20 people who've done it. Um, and then so the, the finish line, uh, finish lots, line lots, was, lots of people there? Or, there was right, a, any, anyone loads of people up? from Aspire. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they chance to get to that, Paris. Yeah. yeah, mates and things like that. Yeah. And there's this bit, you know, it's only four years ago, but it's amazing how little footage there is of it, you know, yeah. in terms of smartphones, not that good. But there's brilliant bit of footage where it's just so typically British, where I'm about to finish and everyone's shouting. And then somebody presses the pedestrian crossing on the Champs-Élysées. And I'm literally 10 yards before I finish, and I stopped for it instead of, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, wait for all these pedestrians to go past. And everyone's like, started cheering, and then they all have to stop and then cheer again. <laughs> um, so I guess f- from there, so you were, you were working for Aspire at the time, yeah. at the time of that. Yeah. I just remember telling Ryan, when I first joined, I always remember saying to Brian, oh, I'm doing the Arch Talk. He went, oh, okay, okay. And he knew what it was. I think he just, I don't, he didn't know me very well. I think he might have thought, okay, I've employed a fantasist, or this guy's slightly strange, or he might be doing it in a relay. Mm-hmm. And I remember about a year before I did it, I said, bro, you know I said I was doing the Archois? So I wanted to talk to him about time off and, and how we were going to do it. And I remember looking at me and he said, saying, you're doing the Archois? I said, yeah. He said, well, all of it. I went, yeah, I told you that. And he said to me, don't think I believed you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so yeah, so he was really good. I mean, you kind of gave me loads. Uh, and and then from there, briefly, you had a, a brief stint on a TV program <laughs> as well. 
yeah, actually, you remind me, he's had to deal with quite a bit. So, yeah. yeah. As a result of that, I don't know, work got round about this, and there was a TV programme called Ultimate Hell Week. And a few people said, you should go for it. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not very military, and it would just be terrible. Yeah. And then there was somebody sent me through the application form, said, that's a load about swimming. I thought, oh, okay, I'll get on. I, I kind of wrote off and said, and it's straight away the BBC <laughs> rang me back and said, could I come down for a screen test? Yeah. So, anyway, I got on it. And uh, I had to go into Prime and say, I'm disappearing. Is there any chance I can just, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long I'm going to be in there. It might only be a day, a couple of days. Um, but can I have the time off? And can we not tell anyone? And he's like, what? <laughs> and then he, but he, he said this brilliant thing to me. I always remember he just said, look, Paul, I don't know about, it's fine. It's not going to be that long. Just fill your boots with life. I, mean, I, I thought, you know, what, coming from a singer, quote, yeah. what a great quote. And I didn't remember he said, just fill your boots. Yeah, and it, and it was a really good thing. And how, how long did you last? Well, I lasted 10 days wow. out of 12. I was like this old bloke who just totally bemused by everything. I had yeah. no idea. But I think because I did knew, knew I was never going to win and and just like helps other people because I did. And I think what I hadn't realised was they were kind of looking at things like that. And, um, yeah. and I think, you know, you, you watch these programmes, you know, especially I think Ant Middleton's SAS programme, and a lot of it, it's not all the physical side of things. A lot of it is the mental side and, and how you prepare yourself mentally before doing something like that. Yeah, and I had that thing about never giving up because of the endurance stuff. So, yeah. you know, no matter how awful, some of it was absolutely terrible. But I just kind of thought, well, it's going to end at the end. Yeah, don't, it will be over. Mm-hmm. And nothing is as bad as swimming the channel. Nothing is as mm-hmm. bad as that. So I just kind of carried on with it. And, uh, yeah, there was that. And there was also the other thing about, obviously, the whole thing about anything to do with armed forces is really alpha. Mm. That is the last thing that they want in special forces. They don't want alpha people, mm. and they're certainly not very alpha. Um, so you had a bit of a break, yeah. Um, just you know, carried on, and then what kind of led you to your your most recent challenge? A few things, sort of lifestyle in terms of my life. You know, mum and dad have been very ill for a long time, and yeah, sadly they died. And you know, and I kind of you know, for thirteen years I've been sort of going up and down to Lincoln looking at them, and after that I was kind of like, you know, when they're gone, I thought I really want to do something. So. Again, poor old Brian gets a little knock on the door, and it's like, "Hello, Paul." I say, "Hi, oh, Brian. I think, I think, I think I might have to resign." He's like, "Why?" I said, "Oh, I've, this thing I've always wanted to do." He said, "You've never mentioned anything you've ever really wanted to do. You just keep coming." Out. I said, "I'd like to do a cycle ride. Just get on my bike and cycle." I went, "How long do you want?" <laughs> I said, "What's the minimum you'll accept?" I said, well, three months." And we came to. He was really good. He said, "Look, okay." Unpaid, but if you want a sabbatical, keep your job open. So absolutely brilliant. So I didn't have to worry about. So uh, at, at that point that you were asking for the time off, had you planned a route, or did you know no. where you wanted to go? You I just, just, I just wanted to, to go for it. I wanted to go to, a, I wanted to go to Iran because my dad okay. had worked there in the seventies. He said how beautiful it was, and I kept reading blogs by cyclists, and they just said, you know, the, the country to go to was Iran because everyone's so kind there, regardless of the political situation, the actual people. This is something I found actually on the trip itself. Like, just wonderful, beautiful. Um, sure was I couldn't get into Iran. It didn't matter. I even had a, there's a guy, a spy who I got to know who was Iranian and had some, even had a friend in the embassy mm. here. Couldn't get me in as, a, as an individual traveller with Britain and America and the tensions. So I had to go and look at the map. I thought, well, where's near Iran? And I had a look and there was Georgia and Armenia and Azerbaijan. And I thought, that sounds all right. Don't know where they are. <laughs> And then I just looked at the map and thought, well, there's obviously going to be a way there. And I set off without really planning anything. Um, I just need to follow rivers. And... So you bought, you bought yourself a bike. Um, oh, yeah. Quite... <laughs> Brian's may helped. 
And says, Brian, Brian, I need a bike. And he goes, oh, my mate, he's going to, going to bike shop. <laughs> so his mate gave me, he didn't give me, I had to pay for it, but he gave me a big discount for this bike. So I just bought this bike. I've got a nice relationship with her. Called Mavis, yeah. Mavis. She called Mavis, and she kind of like, for three months, had four bags, and two of which were just basically camping stuff and, and cooking stuff, um, and then one bag of clothes. And I remember when you when you, when you you first started, and I knew you were starting in from your house in St Albans, yeah. uh, so my expectation was you were going to go to, to Dover and, and get the ferry across, but you, you went a slightly different route, didn't you? I went up to uh, Felixstowe and got yeah. the Harwich Ferry across to um, Holland, Holland. Yeah. and then from there picked up the Rhine yeah. and um, just followed the Rhine down into Germany through France and... There's a couple of countries I didn't notice that I was going to go through, France being one of them, but mm. I went, yeah, so I went Germany. Yeah, so so did you kind of plan plan each day you wanted to cover an X amount of distance, or had you planned at the No, the I had done no planning. No planning Literally whatsoever. Planning. I just knew that there were some routes, and I knew in Western Europe it would be okay. Yeah. I never knew where I was going to end up in a day. Mm. I was kind of thinking I could do maybe 100 kilometres a day when it was flat. Um, but I really didn't know. And I had a little guidebook that told me whether there might be some campsites. Yeah. And I just would, and it, that was the thing about it. And that's one of the things I've wanted to try and do is just to live a life where I didn't know what's going to happen in the evening, mm. but to be free to kind of like not have any routine, itinerary, or anything. And to, if I wanted to take days off, I could do that. If I wanted to do 200 kilometers, I could do that. I never did want to do yeah. that. But, and it was just to be free because you know, we all have really busy lives and you know, we have to plan lots of stuff. And I just mm. wanted to know what it's like just to live like a vagrant. So you did. So did, did you a mixture of camping and staying with people? Or yeah, did I did, did a lot of camping, especially in Western Europe. But then there's a, a kind of network for cyclists. There is where if I put my house on the website saying that cyclists can stay there, it opens up a whole network all around right. the world where I can stay for free. Yeah. So I'd kind of like, I'd have a look at somewhere I might be and I'd just send an email ahead saying, would you be able to you know, put me up for a night? Okay. And I met the kindest people, yeah. just the most amazing people. I was a bloke I met. <laughs> so many things that happened. Like the first time I did it, First time I stayed was in Germany, and it was like a young family. I, I arrived on a Sunday night, and they, they had young kids, and they had their mates around with more young kids. I kind of said, oh, I'm really sorry to arrive. I said, no, it's okay, don't worry. And they gave me pizza, they went out and got me a pizza. Then next morning, the husband had gone to work, and the wife had to take the um, kids to school. And she just said, oh, I'll take the, you know, his keys, and, um, and I'll be back in a little while. And I was like, you've only met me for a night, and you give me, you let me go come in and out of your house. And, just bizarre. And I, I got to Turkey and this bloke, he just basically let me stay in a flat that he had in, a, in the centre of town. He lived a bit further out with his um, his family. Again, he just gave me the keys to this flat, said, stay as long as you want. When you finish, drop them down in the chemist. It's People amazing. were just so generous. Yeah. And that happened all the time. Um, so fr- from that trip, would you say that what was the what was the most beautiful country or, or part of the country that you kind of... Two that stand out is Romania. Yeah. So I just, you know, I didn't know what to expect from Romania. There's a, but sometimes you get, you know, there was a load of stuff years back that were quite negative about Romania. God, going through it, it's just, I went through the rural areas down by the Danube, and it was just stunning, just beautiful. Mm. And it was a bit like going back in time, you know, lots of horses and cars. I mean, I got a photograph of a supermarket with more horses and carts and cars outside it. Just amazing. Mm. But the people, I just go through these villages and people would just be like waving and cheering <laughs> and... and and just, if you stop, they just want to talk to you, and mm. it's fantastic. But the most amazing, beautiful, beautiful place is Georgia. Georgia yeah. is stunning, and it's so cheap, and you can get on a plane at Luton, and you can go to a place called Katezi, 
and in a couple of hours you can be up the most amazing in the Caucasus, the most amazing mountains. Mm. And that's a bit like stepping back in time as well. And it's just stunning. Um, and was there, what would you say was the, the worst part or was there a, a part that you felt quite unsafe in or that you just wanted to cycle through and get through as quickly as possible? Never felt unsafe. There's parts of Turkey is famous as an area outside of Istanbul that's known for dogs, wild dogs. The Turkish people told me how to handle dogs, as in, because I, I don't know much about dogs, mm. they told me how to handle them, and that, that made my journey really fine, because um, I'd, I'd tried out, out peddling them up until then, mm. and then I learned that you just front up to them and everything, and they just go away, yeah. scary at first, but but that, but Turkey itself, when I basically got to Istanbul, and just beyond Istanbul, it just becomes really mountainous and really hilly, and I lost so much weight, just yeah. could not could not keep weight on me because I've got Mavis was 60 kilo, kilograms which was a really heavy bike mm. and I was going up these really steep hills time and time again and that was the hardest bit but I never felt threatened never once did I feel threatened in any way people I just got the same like, people are so nice and we kind of you know geopolitics we don't like because yeah. there's weird people involved in you know, politics but the people themselves I think just want to be helpful uh, and then, so coming come towards the end of the trip, I know you say so you, you'd ask for a, a certain amount of time off. Is that kind of how you knew where to finish and when to finish, or were you like, actually, I need to get to was it Armenia? You, you it's Armenia. I decided to fit. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't. I could have gone more further into Azerbaijan, but um, if I had a bit more time. But I, yeah, it, it worked really well. Effectively, mm. you know, I, I, a bit of time. Yeah, the three months is just just perfect to get into Yerevan in Armenia. Yeah. And allowed me time to just like get trained back to Katezi, where I could get back to Luton. And it just worked really, really well. It was almost like it was a perfect kind of <laughs> amount of time to get that far. Um, and so now you've done that, that was, what was that? That was, that was a year ago now. Yeah, so it still comes up on my Facebook, yeah. you know, this year, this time last year you were doing this. So have you got, you know, you said you always wanted to go cycling, so you've done that. Anything else on the bucket list that I you, you think, honey? I need to ask Brian if I can do this next. Yeah, we'll better say it on the podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't mind going up Everest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would let you. Um, Paul, if I raise money for it, he would. That's what I say. I always raise a bit of money for it. Yeah. 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 A, few a few hundred pounds, I think. Yeah, knock on his door. Oh, I've got a fundraising idea for me. <laughs> um, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you, you know, you've got some wonderful stories. And I think if anyone... Uh, knows you or knows of you and they want to get in contact I think they should and just uh, especially if they want to fire some questions at you because you know these kind of challenges they're becoming really popular you know Ross actually swimming around the UK I think oh, maybe that could be something you could do next you never know <laughs> um, but yeah thank you so much for your time I really, really appreciate it cheers thanks Dean a massive thank you to Paul for sharing his story today uh, I'm sure we'll have him again uh, on the podcast in the future I hope this inspires you to take on your own challenge in 2019. Uh, but for the moment, Happy New Year from me and everyone at Aspire Leisure Centre. And we'll see you again soon. Aspire. Fitness is for everyone at Aspire in Stanmore. Visit aspireleisurecentre.org.uk.